morning. It's good to see you all. And good morning to you joining us online also. <clears throat> what I'm going to share with you this morning is really important. And uh, I just feel like we need to start with a word of prayer. So would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord God, I want to thank you for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And today, as we dive into this topic a little bit, I pray for your uh, will to be made known to each one of us and for your knowledge to be made known to each one of us, Lord, that we would grow in our faith and understanding, Lord. I pray that we would understand just exactly what the crucifixion means and that it would uh, inform our faith, Jesus, I pray. In your name, amen. So this year we're doing uh, the big theme of wholeness in, 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 in God. And uh, as we looked at the uh, Easter series, we just felt like we need to explain it a lot more and, and really get into the nuances and different aspects of, of the meaning of, of crucifixion and resurrection and some of the teachers, uh, Jesus' last teachings and so forth. And so we really extended the series into several weeks. Hopefully that end will be achieved. Uh, what I want you to do is walk out of here today, not necessarily learning some new fact you never knew before, but being very established in your understanding of what the crucifixion is all about and why it's so, so utterly important to our health and well-being as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to begin with this perspective today. The crucifixion can be a stumbling block and seem foolish to people. Recently, Vicki and I were uh, remodeling a, a, a downstairs room, and so we had to carry the bed out, and rather than get some straps to make it easy to pick up, I just said, we can manhandle this thing. Anybody with me on that? Right? And so we had this queen-size bed in this bedroom, and it's got the mattress that's about 18 inches thick. You know, the, the mattresses have gone through this, or this kind of generational development thing where they were thin, and then they, they got really, really fat, and now they're back to being kind of thin again. Have you noticed that? Well, this is a fat one. And so I'm on the front end of it, and I'm going, I'm telling Vicki, I'm just going to squeeze it and lift. You just push. And so I'm a man. I can do one thing, maybe two things at once. So I'm pretty pleased with myself. So I'm squeezing this mattress, lifting it up, and backing up. I'm not looking at all where I'm going. She's pushing, okay? Because she can't squeeze and lift it. She can push, though. So I had rolled up a piece of carpet that was just outside the door of the bedroom. So I'm backing up, and you know what happened, right? Tripped on that carpet, and I fell right on my derriere, right down backwards. It was very graceful, though, because I had a really good grip on the mattress. So I just kind of went, Whoa! and all of a sudden, Vicky goes, Kind of like, where are you? I'm on the floor. <laughs> fell down here. And then she starts chuckling and, and says, um, you going to tell the doctor you fell down? See, we have a little standing joke going on now because we're getting older. Every time we go to the doctor, the first thing they ask is, have you fallen recently? And I said, no, I'm not going to tell her that I've fallen down. Just going to let this one go. So that's what goes on in the Norby household when we're doing stuff, you know. The crucifixion is something that a lot of people stumble over. Paul called the crucifixion a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Gentiles, those who weren't Jews, uh, were accustomed at the time of Christ to, to worshiping mighty gods like Greece's Zeus or Romans Jupiter. And when the Christians come on the scene, they're worshiping this God that was crucified. And they, that was mind-blowing to them. What kind of God gets himself crucified? They viewed that as weakness and, and, and being killed by your enemies. Are you, are you serious? You're worshiping that kind of God? So to them, 
Christ seemed like foolishness. Now the Jews, on the other hand, they were expecting Messiah to come in and deliver them from Roman tyranny. And so Jesus shows up and he gets killed by Roman tyranny. And so their, their, they, their wrong perception of what Messiah would do and, and what he would deliver them from, which is their sins, uh, became a stumbling block. And they never really embraced um, uh, in Christ and believed in what he was doing as Messiah. So what we want to do, friends, as Christ followers today, is really understand why was Jesus crucified? Why was that so very, very important? And we're going to just address that one big question in this message. And I'm going to talk about four reasons why we must understand Christ needed to be crucified, okay? So here we go. Uh, first reason for the crucifixion of Christ is this, sin's penalty. God's justice required a penalty, and the penalty for sin is death, and so sin required death. The crucifixion then paid the penalty for sin. I'm going to use two just real succinct verses uh, to to, uh, address this why of the crucifixion. First of all, I'm going to look at 1 John 2.2. Listen to this. He himself, he being Jesus, is a sacrifice that atones. Whenever you see the word atone in the Bible, it means paid the price for, paid the penalty for. So he himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. So what this scripture is saying is Jesus' sacrifice was complete. It was all that's needed. It doesn't mean the whole world is saved. In fact, let's go on to uh, Romans 3.25. It makes it clear what we got to do with this sacrificial death of Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement uh, through the shedding of his blood, To be received by what? Faith. So not everybody is saved just because Christ's sacrifice is sufficient for all to be saved, but you have to receive it by faith. Now, as we talked about last week, God's justice is defined this way, his relentless writing of this wrong world. So not only did Christ pay the penalty for sin, right? Dying on the cross for us. But what he was doing was he was making a way for you and I by faith in Christ and by his death to be righted with God, to be made okay with God, to become the, the righteousness of God. The sacrifice of Jesus then leads to a right relationship possibility for sinful people. And this is a big deal. I mean, big deal. And, and all the Old Testament sacrifices and sacrificial system were, were pointing to this very fulfillment that t- took place in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the Old Testament sacrificial system could never in itself uh, completely get rid of sin. All it could do really was saying, sin's a problem. Sin leads to death. And it was an annual reminder that the people of, uh, needed to have a sacrifice that, for their sin, that their sin cause death. So sacrifices and the laws concerning them were a shadow then of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They were pointing to Jesus Christ and what he would do by his death. The first book of the Bible, Genesis, is, is, tells of the creation of, of, of uh, humanity. And then right away we read about how Adam and Eve, our mom and dad, um, sinned. And they were expelled from the garden, and that sin then led uh, 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 to the consequence uh, of death. And then sin became a barrier to humanity's, following humanity's relationship uh, with God. And throughout the Old Testament, you read about the sacrifices made by Israel uh, for their sins. And they never really completely dealt with sin, because they can't. Those kind of sacrifices can't. 
And part of the purpose was just to be a demonstration of the very real way that there is a penalty to sin, that sin results in death. Every time you saw an animal die, you were reminded, my sin means death. It means death to me, and there has to be a penalty paid for that sin. Um, my uncle owned a butcher shop, and I remember going to his butcher shop, Uncle Glenn, when I was just a little guy. It stunk. Been in a butcher? He slaughtered the animals, you know. So I went in this butcher shop. First of all, you know, I'm like five years old, right? So you're seeing dead animals everywhere. Half of them hung on the ceiling, things slaughtered on the floor, blood everywhere, right? It, it, just, it, just, it just stunk of death. And the Old Testament sacrificial system was a, was a visceral way of demonstrating the penalty of sin. It engaged your senses. It stunk, friends. If you were to, you know, sacrifice in the Old Testament system and you were to go there, it stunk like crazy, man. It's like a gigantic butcher shop. They're killing animals all over the place and there's blood everywhere. It stinks and it would be a very, very real experience of the consequence of sin. Sin means death. I've gone to Disney World several times. That doesn't mean death, but sometimes I feel that way. Anyway, I do it because I love my family. But anyway, I go, I, I'm going to Disney World, and the rides are okay, but I don't like to get sick and throw up. How about you? So I go to some of the productions, right? And I sit through some of the theater things. They're kind of outstanding. And, and a couple of them, they'll poof stuff in your face. Anybody with me on that? They poof this stinky stuff so you can experience. One time I wasn't ready for it, my mouth was open. And I remember it poofed it into my mouth, that like bad egg stuff smell. And I remember going, ah, I'm going to throw up here, you know. It was just a real experience. Well, the reason they do that is they want to engage senses so that you're kind of more engaged in the production and what's going on. Guess what the Old Testament sacrificial system did for you? It engaged you, man. You saw, my sin means death. There's all this blood, it smells, it's engaging, and and it kind of, it it kind of, it gripped your your heart. Um, But it was never adequate to address the problem. Uh, The Bible talks about this idea that it was only a shadow of what was to come, and what was to come was the once for all sacrifice, Jesus Christ. Um, The author of the New Testament book of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 10, verses one through four, listen to this. The law is only a shadow, now, this is talking about the sacrificial laws and all those laws relating uh, to that kind of thing. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So here's how I look at this. All that Old Testament sacrificial system was like a shadow, as it says in Scripture. It's like this, this man here. You, you can see the man. But if you're only looking at a shadow, what do you, you know? You know it's still a man, right? Or a person, you could to say. It, but it's two-dimensional. It's on the ground. It's flat. You don't see the whole picture. But you know by the shape of it, 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 it relates back to somebody, right? And what, what the Hebrew writer here is saying, listen, the Old Testament law and sacrifices and all the sacrifices made, they're like this 2D image of what God was going to do in full 3D in Jesus Christ. 
It, they're not the end. They're a shadow. They're pointing back to what's going to happen in Jesus Christ. They, they, they're not completing themselves. They're not adequate to take away sins. But they point back to the 3D object of Jesus Christ. And he became the once for all sacrifice for our sins. And no other sacrifice is, no, is any longer needed. That's why the scripture says there's no more need for sacrifices. Christ completed it. It's done. He's fulfilled that part of the law. So Jesus was a perfect and final sacrifice for all sins. First Peter chapter 1 verses 18 through 20 tell us this. For you know that it's not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Jesus' death on the cross has provided a way for fallen humanity to receive forgiveness of sins and be restored to full right relationship with God. He is the once for all sacrifice. No other sacrifice is required for our sins. All the other things were shadow pointing to what would be completed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, recalling the story of Adam and Eve here, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all were made alive. So, what's the first reason for the crucifixion? It satisfied sin's penalty. It's really important to understand, isn't it? Super important to really embrace that. If we're going to be okay in God, we got to see that we needed the, the crucifixion of Christ and it satisfied the penalty for our sins. No more sacrifice is now needed. We just need to place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We're going to work on amen later on. A second reason why Christ is crucified could be labeled this way. Love demonstrated. Love demonstrated. The crucifixion demonstrated the love of God. Ever wonder if God loves you? I, I've had that issue in my life uh, frequently over the years, wondering if, if why would God love, love me? And I could see, I, and I remember this, I could see how God would love this particular girl, for instance, she was cute and friendly and lovable. She's easy to love. Or you could look at another guy and say, well, he is strong and courageous and capable. I can see why God loves him. But frequently I would think, and I know my own heart. How about you? You know your own heart, right? I go, oh God, I don't know. I don't know if you can love me. I'm not all that cute, first of all. And secondly, is I know what's going on in my heart and I'm not that special. And if I actually do real analysis of myself, I'm pretty much average. You ever think of yourself like that? And, and, and you can come up with this question. Have you ever wondered why God loves you? Yeah, you only need to look to the cross. If you've ever wondered if God loves you, you only need to look to the cross. It's a demonstration of his love for you. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8, these words. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, no one is good enough to earn God's attention or forgiveness. No one even comes close. While his creation was in rebellion, while they were still far off from him, God looked at them with great love, and he said, I'm going to make a way for you to come back to me. I'm going to give you my son. I'm going to demonstrate my love for you. And that's this. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. This is so precious. Whenever I think of Christ's death on the cross for me personally, the word precious comes into that thought. It's a precious sacrifice by a perfect, unblemished Savior. 
It, in Ephesians chapter 5, um, Paul tells his, his followers in Ephesus, you want to walk in the way of love? Then look at Jesus. And here's what he says specifically in verses 1 through 2. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So Paul's talking to the Ephesians followers, and he's talking to us. He says, if you want to really love, look at Jesus. How did he love? He loved by sacrificing himself for you. Do you ever have the question, you know, God, do you love me? Well, all you got to do is look at the cross. Yes, he loves you. And we see it in this sacrifice. And Jesus said this uh, 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 in, in John chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. These weren't empty words. Jesus did this. He laid down his life for you and I. Do you ever wonder if God loves you? You just need to look to the cross. I'm going to say it again. Do you ever wonder if God loves you? What do you look to? The cross. Amen. You look to the cross. It's a demonstration of God's love for you. Listen, if you're going to be whole and if you're going to do okay in your life, if you're going to stand against things that come against you, you got to stand fast in this understanding. God loves you. He loves you so much that he went to the cross and it's got to be established in you. Third reason why Christ was crucified can be labeled this way. It's death conquered. Death conquered. The crucifixion conquered death. I mean, Jesus crucifixion, of course, goes hand in hand with his resurrection. And both of these key things are so important to the conquering of death. And we'll talk about resurrection uh, uh, next week. Um, Through these essential acts, Christ dealt with the weight of death and the consequence uh, of death that had hung over humanity's head uh, since that first sin. In Revelation, Jesus tells John these words, I am the living one. I was dead And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. That's Revelation 1, verse 18. And we're going to do a little exercise here. All right? Because you guys don't know when to say amen. So I'm going to help you and educate you and and, and to get you going on some of this. Anyway, so amen means this. So be it. The word amen means it's Sorry, Kyle, I walked out of your tape mark there. Anyway, amen means this, so be it. Or it means I strongly agree with that statement. And so when you hear someone say some truth about Jesus and you say, amen, brother, or amen, sister, what you're saying is, I strongly agree with that, so be it. All right? So I'm reading this scripture again, Revelation 118, and you need to say amen after I get done because you need to say, I really strongly agree with that. Amen? All right, good practice. I'm going to say it. Here we go. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Amen. Amen. You ever watch a sporting event and hear someone describe a victory this way? They demolished, they destroyed their opponent. I've been watching March Madness, and every now and then you'll hear one of the announcers say, Well, that wasn't a game. What they mean was they just destroyed the opponent. You know, when you win in basketball by 40 points, that's destroying an opponent. Paul writes to his beloved Timothy in 2 Timothy verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 9 through 10, these words. He says this, he has saved us 
and he's called us to be holy. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has what? Destroyed the death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I have to tell myself that frequently. Jesus, you've destroyed death. You've utterly conquered it on the cross. And you've destroyed death's stronghold in my life. I don't have to fear that anymore. Those who trust in Jesus can, can look forward to the fact that, and this is, is, is a promise of Revelation 21.4, he will wipe tears from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. We don't have to fear death, brothers and sisters, anymore because of Christ. Now, I understand sometimes who wants to die? Nobody. Sometimes it's quite painful, right? That's not the fear I'm talking about. I'm talking about we don't have to fear that death is the end of things. It's not. We need to be confident in our, in our Jesus that it's not. And, and I've shared with you some, some promises already today, but I want to take and do a short exercise with you. I call it a faith builder. I love to incorporate math whenever I can into a message. And so uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little bit of math with you today. And I want, want, what I want to do is this uh, faith builder exercise so that when, when, I, when I read a promise like this, you know, of Revelation 21.4, we, we believe it. And it begins to become our, our, our out look for life. And so we're going to do a little faith builder exercise. If you want to have more information on this, you can go to the information center and I've actually printed out some stuff with all the scriptures and all the specifics here I'm about to share with you because I'm going to blast this really fast. And it was way too long to put in a note guide. But the probability that one person could fulfill 15 key Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. What's the probability of that? We're going to talk some math here. And when I say 15 key uh, Old Testament uh, prophecies. Here's, here's what I'm talking about. That, that Jesus would be a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Judah, born in Bethlehem, preceded uh, by a messenger like Elijah, will be a prophet like Moses, bring light to Galilee, be born of a virgin, enter Jerusalem on a donkey, have great zeal for the temple, would heal the brokenhearted, would be betrayed, would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, hands and feet would be pierced, a sacrifice for sin, and he'd be raised from the dead. Okay, those are the 15 that I'm talking about here, right? So what are the odds that that could happen by chance? The odds of all this happening by chance are 1 over 10 followed by 62 zeros. Okay, so just so you get a visual of that, you're going to see what that looks like here. It's going to count off for you on the screen, okay? What it looks like to have 1 over 10 followed by 62 zeros. Sometimes the picture's way, way more worth it than thousand words, right? Um, by the way, one over 10 followed by 50 zeros, scientifically speaking, is considered to be impossible to happen by chance. Just can't happen by chance. It's too, it's too, the probability is, is too small of that happening. Conservatively, it is estimated that Jesus fulfilled 300 prophecies. So what do you think about that number? Think it'd be a little bit bigger or smaller, I should say, Right? because it's really a fraction. It'd be way, way smaller. It'd be a lot more zeros is what I'm trying to say. Um, here's how this number was calculated. For some of you going, well, how did they get that number? Well, let me tell you. So you look at him being, uh, you know, a descendant of Abraham, the probability of that, or not a descendant, whatever I was saying, descendant, yeah, anyway, you get what I'm saying. Uh, that be, the probability of that is one over 500. The probability of something more specifically, say, 30 pieces of silver being the 
price for uh, his betrayal or being born specifically in, in Bethlehem, the probability of something like that happening by chance is one over 50,000. So you take all those fractions and you multiply them out, right? Guess what you get? One over 10 followed by 62 zeros, okay? So that's how the number uh, is calculated. Um, and here's what, what I want us to conclude. It can be said with great confidence, friends, that Jesus has conquered death. So when he says, I've conquered death, you can look at the math and you can go, okay, I believe what you say. And you take it to heart and it changes your outlook in life. Amen? Amen. Well, we're better. One final thought of to why Jesus was crucified, it could be labeled this way. Satan vanquished. Satan vanquished. This, the crucifixion vanquished the devil's work. Listen to John chapter uh, 12, uh, verses 31 through uh, 33. Uh, Jesus said this, Now is the time for judgment of this world. Now the prince of this world, that's Satan, that's the devil, will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So it's important to understand, Jesus is talking about the death. I'm going to die. But he's saying, here's the why behind the death. The why is this. I'm vanquishing Satan. I'm getting rid of the devil's work here. Vanquish just means I'm going to defeat him thoroughly. He's no longer going to be capable of influencing those who give their life to me. Later on, the Bible explains that this was the focus of Jesus' ministry. Um, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And then um, going to, to, to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 15, we're told this. Since the children of flesh and blood, he too shared in the humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives have been held in slavery by the fear of death. Now, fear immobilizes. Fear causes us to just kind of freeze up. Ever have a fearful moment where you go, ah, like giving your first speech as a second grader, where you go, uh, you just stare and you go, I'm not going to, I'm not going to speak. I, I hated public speaking so much so I avoided all those classes. <laughs> kind of ironic, isn't it? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, my wife was on the way home from Lincoln, Nebraska, and my daughter, uh, Black Lab, had some pups. She bred the dog and purebred black lab and bred it and, and she was selling the puppies and, and Julie and, and Eric Nelson who go to church here uh, heard about all this and got a couple of puppies from Liz so Vicky took the puppies home with her that's an experience in and of itself, right? So they, they're, they're doing some crate training for these pups before they're leaving but, but so, so they had this crate in the back of our pilot and they got these two beautiful labs in there, right? And they've, they've never done this before and um, by the time they got to the second stop, Vicky was telling me and describing how she had to pry one of the puppies out of the crate. The poor thing was just scared to death. It was, fear was immobilizing the puppy. I mean, it was away from mama, right? Away from brothers and sisters. It's in this car going who knows where. And the strange lady that it really doesn't know very well is grabbing her and making her go potty all the time, right? And so she just dug her feet into that crate and did not want to come out of that crate. And Vicky told me how she had to kind of pry the puppy out of the crate and get it out. And I said, oh, that's so sad. You know, you feel bad for her. She's just so scared. She's going to a good home, though. She'll quickly get over that. And she did. But listen, we don't have to be immobilized by the fear of death. Now, I'm not trying to minimize death and the pain of death and the agony that people go through. And there's all kinds of stuff that's associated with that that causes us some distress. We don't need to fear death, though, as a follower of Jesus. 
And I want to encourage you, um, you know, ask God to grace you to handle those kinds of things in his strength and his power. Even, even when you, you feel like, oh, this isn't going real well, Jesus has promised, I'll come there, I'll grace you, I'll be, I'll be sufficient for the moment you find yourself in. And we have to trust him uh, in, in, in that regard. Um, so let's go to the application here real quickly. What does this all mean to me? Through the crucifixion, God provides a path for forgiveness from sin. For reconciliation to God the Father, so that we can be called the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ, and for freedom from death and the fear of death. The crucifixion demonstrates God's love for humanity, friends. But more importantly, and equally importantly, I should say, specifically, it demonstrates his love for you, that he loves you. The Apostle Paul said this in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, he says to these Corinthians, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And what Paul meant by knowing Christ crucified is he knew that Jesus had paid sin's penalty. He knew that Jesus on the cross was a demonstration of God's love. He knew that Jesus on the cross conquered death. He knew that Jesus on the cross vanquished Satan. When he said, I just, I just purpose to know Jesus and him crucified, he's saying these things when he's using that phrase. Man, it's full of thought. It's full of implication that we've covered today. As we march towards Easter, I can't encourage you enough, friends in Christ. I cannot encourage you enough. Resolve to know Jesus and him crucified. March towards Easter with those kinds of things settled in your mind. Uh, there are some, for further discussion, questions here on the back of your note-taking guide. If you want to use those in groups or with one another or just personally, just note that they're there for your use. Let's pray, and then I'll turn it back over to, to the praise band here. Lord God, I want to thank you for um, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Thank you that he's, he paid sin's penalty. Thank you that it's a demonstration of love. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that death's been conquered and Satan's been vanquished. God, as we march towards Easter this, this Lent season, may we just be firmly established in this understanding of crucifixion and why it was necessary so that it's not a stumbling block of foolishness and that we can clearly articulate the hope we have for Jesus to others around us understanding what the crucifixion really is all about, Lord. Would you just grace us now as we, as we praise and sing you in this last song, that it would be a song of faith sung to you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, we love you and praise you and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.